Ephesians chapter 6. This is a signature text on spiritual warfare. I shall read the chapter. Thereafter, I shall consider the second part of verse 14. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Born servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people please us, but as born servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a born servant or is free. <clears throat> Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the all arm of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the old arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am, I am and what I am doing, Tichikas, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let us pray. Father, we thank you 
for the best gift you've given to us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our hope and stay. He is the solid rock upon which we stand, for all other ground is sinking sand. We thank you that he came to seek and to save the lost. We thank you that he is the foundation upon which our faith is laid. We thank you that we are secured in time and for all eternity. Thank you for his precious blood which secures our salvation. Thank you that we have been reconciled to you through him. We thank you that you are our God, our refuge and help, a very present help in time of need. And this morning, Lord, we ask that you may speak to us, speak to us the voice of your Son as we consider your word. We pray that your truth may be spoken, may be preached, and may be spoken to us in our heart. Help us to look to you, Lord, to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do pardon us of all our sins. Cleanse us of every unrighteousness, Lord. Uh, we pray that uh, as we are here, may we, may we indeed um, not come out of this place the way that we came in. Pray that our gracious Savior may teach us your truth. And by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you may guide us. Guide us into all the truths. Pray for faithfulness on the part of the preacher as well as the part of the hearer. That these words that are spoken here will not be in vain. We pray that the evil one may not come and snatch the word as soon as it is heard. That your people will not forget your truth. That you may be keen and attentive to listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage from verse 10 to 17, we are dealing with the issue of spiritual warfare. And we've seen that if you're not wrestling, you're losing. God has signed you up for this battle. He is your commander who has enlisted you in his army. And God has sent us to this battle and he has given us equipments. He has given us the resources that are necessary. Now the devil uses many devices to attack the Christian. Therefore, a whole array of defensive measures must be put in place to defeat the devil. And this morning we come to the second part of verse 14, which tells us that we have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul tells us that it is not enough for the Christian soldiers to be strong in the Lord. He goes forth to set us, uh, to set before us six pieces of the armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Every piece is absolutely vital and essential if you are going to get protected from the flaming arrows of the evil one. Last week we saw in the belt of truth that this is the entry level, really, as we go into battle. We must know the truth. 
And this truth refers to the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And the purpose of the belt back in the day was to bind up together the flowing garments that people wore so that people will not trip up and fall in the midst of the battle. That the soldier, before he took up his shield, before he took up his sword, before he took up his breastplate, he will gather his garments and tie them round his waist. We saw that this was a picture of getting ready for the battle, getting ready for the conflict. We must have the belt of truth buckled around our waist. We saw that this was not referring to the truthfulness of character. It is referring to God's truth, the whole truth of the Bible, the complete revelation God has given to us. And so we saw that in a practical experience, it involves two things. To fasten it means that we must acquaint ourselves with the truth. And secondly, we must be diligent in the application of that truth in our lives. And so we need to know what the Bible teaches. We need to know why we believe, what we believe. We need to know how we ought to apply these truths in our lives. And so we must let the word of God dwell richly in us in all wisdom. Belt of truth is God's truth personally embraced, personally applied, that gives strength to the core of the inner man. And this truth is not found in human reason. It is found only in scripture. Ephesians 4.21 says the truth is in who? It is in Jesus Christ. It is the source of truth. And if we have to find any, any truth, we must find it in him. Having considered the last time the belt of truth, we come this morning to the second piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. One of the most important equipment developed for the military is the bulletproof. Bulletproof vest. It has saved untold number of lives. And Paul moves here from the belt of truth to the other armor which is attached to the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. This is important for us in our warfare against the devil. <clears throat> I want you to see the connection here, that the belt of truth becomes the basis upon which we bear the breastplate, sorry, we wear the breastplate of righteousness. The order here is very important. You cannot have one without the other. The breastplate, you cannot have the breastplate without the belt of truth. The belt of truth, sorry, the breastplate will not stay in place without the belt of truth. And so it does you no good to have righteousness without truth, isn't it? It leads to hypocrisy. It does you no good to try to live a righteous life if it's not guided by the truth. We fail every time. So we have people who are worshipped for their righteousness, who are adored for their righteousness. But that righteousness is not accompanied with the truth of God's word. And God calls all that righteousness filthy rats. And so, when you have the truth of God's word found in Jesus Christ wrapped around your waist, then you'll be able to understand 
the place of the breastplate of righteousness. I have two points. What is the breastplate of righteousness and why do we need this righteousness? So the first point, what is the breastplate of righteousness? This breastplate consisted of two large pieces of metal. It covered from the neck all the way to the thigh. And so it covered the vital organs of the body, the liver, the stomach, the lungs, the heart. Because if these vital parts were pierced, the soldier will perish. And so there is no doubt that this breastplate was one of the most important pieces of the soldier's equipment. Without the breastplate, he'll be very vulnerable and very exposed. He'll be an easy target to the enemy. The question you may be asking yourself is, how does this have relevance to me as a Christian? As a Christian, you're facing a formidable enemy. The world is enticing you. You're fighting against the flesh. And you have the evil one. How can you get protected against the wiles of the evil one? How can you experience victory in your Christian life? You can experience victory because this breastplate of righteousness is nothing more but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's little doubt here that Paul is alluding to that Old Testament text in Isaiah 59 where we're told that Jesus Christ put on the righteousness as a breastplate. He put on the helmet of salvation on his head. And so we see here a glorious prophecy, a glorious picture of Jesus Christ in the armor of the battle. That he came 2,000 years ago to destroy the works of the, of, the, of the devil. And Isaiah tells us that he put on righteousness as a breastplate. So the question that may confront us, what is this breastplate of righteousness? Before we set forth the truth, it is important for us to clear the errors. So we'll define what it is not. There are many people who tell us that Paul here is referring to the integrity of character, moral uprightness. That as Christians, we should, have righteous, we should, have, we should live righteously and justly. And only then will we be able to stand against the flaming darts of the evil one. That we have our own personal integrity, our own righteousness. Such interpretation is clearly wrong, and it's wrong for two good reasons. Firstly, we've already seen here that Paul is drawing our attention to the things given to us by God. This is the armor of God we are to put on, so that every piece is provided by him. Your integrity of character has nothing to do with it. Therefore, it cannot be referring to our personal holiness. Every piece has reference to the Messiah in the Old Testament. So when Jesus Christ puts on the breastplate of righteousness, he has fulfilled righteousness in our place. So when we are putting on the breastplate, we are doing nothing more than putting on Jesus Christ. Who is our righteousness? Jeremiah says, Jehovah, our righteousness. Secondly, second reason why this is not correct is it will be 
the height of folly for any Christian to go into battle with the devil, relying on their own integrity, will be doomed to disappointment and failure. Integrity is not an equipment that is adequate to fight the enemy of our souls. Let me ask you, how effective do you think your personal holiness is against the schemes of the evil one? How do you think you'll be effective if I told you, strap your character, strap your, first in your own holiness and righteousness, strap your own integrity? Tell me how far you will go in defending yourself against an enemy who is more crafty than we are in this battle. You see, our righteousness is imperfect. And it will be pierced through. It needs Christ's righteousness to cover all our imperfections. What good will your own righteousness do to protect you against the schemes of the evil one? If you look at your life, you will see that if it is your own breastplate, it has holes in it. There are imperfections. That's why you need a perfect, a perfect breastplate. Instead of that breastplate being made of bronze and iron, your breastplate is made of paper. And any defense, any attack against the enemy is like a spider's web. It will be easier for the devil to look at you, to look at you, ask you, look at yourself. You really say that you love holiness. The devil tells you, I don't see any holiness in your life. Your righteousness is filled with holes. And the devil is going to show you where those holes are. If you depend on our own righteousness, it becomes easy work for the devil. Because all he has to do is to point out the areas, areas that lack holiness. So that it cannot be our own righteousness which is in view here. This is the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This breastplate better be something else. Something strong. Something mighty. If it's going to protect us against the enemy. The enemy we are facing, the adversary, is not weak. So that as believers, we have really nothing to boast about. We have nothing to glory in. We are still sinners. We have nothing to boast in ourselves. We have to take heed to the hymn we have sung. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So we cannot trust our puny strength. We must trust in Christ because all other ground is sinking sand. We must rest on him alone. So Paul here is not referring to our own integrity, our own uprightness. We must depend on the righteousness of Jesus Christ to fight this battle. Secondly, I'd like you to see what it is then. What is this breastplate of righteousness? 
is referring here to the righteousness that is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. This righteousness is sufficient for us to be protected against the flaming darts of the evil one. Paul here is drawing us to the biblical doctrine of justification by grace in faith alone. Justification is the legal forensic declaration of God whereby he pronounces us and treats us as righteous. The righteousness that is counted on our behalf is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But God has legally imputed on us righteousness on our account, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it has nothing to do with us. A sinner is declared righteous by God, not by any righteousness that he has, but simply because he has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are put right with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This armor really is a reminder of us of what happened at conversion. Prior to our conversion, we had no righteousness of our own. We may have thought that we were respectable human beings. The Bible tells us that all our righteousness were nothing but a filthy rag in the sight of God. When God met us in Jesus Christ, he stripped us of that filthy rag, filthy righteousness, and he clothed us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, he has, clothed, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You have been covered with the robe of righteousness. That's a biblical description of a Christian. So this is what Paul is referring to when he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. It's not the righteousness that we ourselves produce. It's the picture of a Christian robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only righteousness that God is concerned with. Remember Paul in Philippians 3 boasting about his righteousness prior to his salvation. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here he talks about his pedigree and tells us of all the things that he relied upon and trusted in. And he was building up his own righteousness. And he says, if anyone thinks that he can trust his flesh, he says what? I am more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. And he provides us some kind of debit and credit sheet. That he thought that they were worthy to be counted on his behalf. But he says, all those things that he thought were worthy, they are a loss for the sake of Christ. He calls them a refuse, the lowest uh, thing in the society, the, the most degrading thing. It equates it to his righteousness. He considered all the righteousness that he had as a Pharisee as worthless compared to the righteousness 
of Jesus Christ. You see, there are two kinds of righteousness. You can appear before God. You can have your own righteousness or you can have God's standard of righteousness. Which righteousness are you going to stand before God with? If you're a Christian, you have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice that he has stripped us of all our filthy rags. He has clothed us with the garments of salvation. So what is this righteousness of Jesus Christ? The righteousness of Jesus Christ consists of his life of perfect obedience. The only reason, brethren, any of us is a Christian in this room this morning is because of the obedience of Jesus Christ which was rendered on your behalf. And this obedience, theologians have defined it as active and passive obedience. It is both passive and active. It is active obedience in the sense that it refers to Christ fulfilling all the requirements of the law. Jesus says, I have not come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. And throughout his life here on earth, he rendered complete and perfect obedience to the Father. That's active obedience. Passive obedience means he laid down his life as a ransom for many. You have passage like Philippians 2.8 And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or as Isaiah portrayed him as a sheep before his shearer, he opened not his mouth. He went all the way to the cross and bore our sins on our behalf. You see, Christ's obedience to the law, which is called active obedience, and his submission to the Lord's, to the Lord's punishment in death, is what, you, what we call passive obedience, satisfies the demand of divine justice in our place. And so we must appropriate the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. We must revel in it. We must apply and swim in it. We must drink from that fountain of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. We are offered the free righteousness of Jesus Christ in the gospel. How is that righteousness offered? How does God gift a sinner the righteousness of Jesus Christ? How does God declare one to be righteous? The answer is only one word. Imputation. The only reason one is a Christian this morning is because of the imputation of that righteousness of Jesus Christ. God the Father took the righteousness of his Son and imputed on it on our behalf. To impute means to put something in one's account. It means to reckon as one's own, to credit on one's account. And so it's a legal term that is borrowed from the court of law. And you see here, it represents our legal standing before the throne of God. What happened at Calvary was a glorious exchange. God the Father took our sins and imputed on them, imputed them on Jesus Christ. He took our sins and credited them on Christ's account. Jesus Christ was reckoned as the guilty one. Then he took our spot, then he took his spotless righteous garment and imputed on our behalf. So that we can sing that glorious hymn this morning. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Jesus, the Lord, my righteousness. 
we have been justified we've been declared right with God by faith through Jesus Christ and by him alone we can receive this breastplate of Christ likeness if you're a Christian this should excite you this morning because what alternative would you prefer other than that when God looks at a sinner the sinner is simultaneously sinful and righteous the status that you have in heaven is that you've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ think about it this is the best news that you can hear justification here is the foundation for our forgiveness with God God has legally declared you righteous because of Christ you have been accepted accepted in the th- before the throne of grace do you understand what this means every sin every transgression every vile thought every foul word every unkind and cruel deed every immoral act every act of theft act of violence act of abuse that you have committed has been transferred to the spotless lamp of God who bore the penalty in your place and you can sing with joy my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord o my soul romans 5:19 says for us by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous you cannot appropriate this righteousness by trying harder you cannot gain this righteousness by moral reformations don't hold on on your righteousness thinking that maybe one day something is going to click abandon all hope in yourself and rely on Jesus Christ alone that's the best news we can ever hear because we have no other option there's never a better alternative than that the final thing i like us to see the second point and perhaps the most important question of all is why has god given us this righteousness of jesus christ to cover us why do we need this righteousness that's the second thing in roman times to step on a battlefield without the breastplate was nothing more than suicide to lack such an equipment meant that the soldier was exposed vulnerable and without such protection to the heart to the lungs to the stomach to the kidneys the soldier was exposed to life threatening injury so without the breastplate we will be casualties of spiritual warfare this breastplate was designed to protect vital organs and the breastplate is important to protect us you see there is no area more important than the area around the breastplate so the soldier needed to protect this area So the question is what are our spiritual organs then? 
In the Bible, we have a number of passages that use internal body organs to communicate truth. And the most common organ used is the heart. And the heart is the seat of affections, our emotions. It's the deepest part of us. What is going to guard your thoughts, your emotions? It is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is what is going to protect your innermost being. William Garner says, A man may outlive many wounds in the arms and legs, but a stab in the heart and other vital parts is the certain messenger of death approaching. End of quote. The reason why we need this armor, brethren, is because the devil loves to tread on guilt. It's because Satan is an accuser. And this righteousness is to remove us from all the guilt of our sins. And one of the many titles given to the devil is that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's a slanderer of the people of God. He's the one who appears and hurls accusations against God's people. See, there's no way to exhaust the schemes of the evil one because he has been doing this for thousands of years. And it's very crafty. In Revelation 12:10, we are told, and I heard a loud voice in the heaven say, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Zechariah chapter 3, we are given a courtroom scene where Joshua the high priest standing before the angel and Satan comes to accuse Joshua of his unworthiness for the priesthood. This is a ploy of Satan against believers. I should say that this differs from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to convict you of sin, the purpose of it is your repentance and forgiveness. But when Satan comes to, 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 to accuse you of your sin, it is for condemnation and destruction and not redemption. The devil is a great diary keeper. He watches us sleep up and records it. And he raises all these accusations. He whispers in our ears. He tells you, how, how, could, how possibly could you be a Christian if you committed this sin past, this past week? He tells you, you have fallen off over and over again. How could you be a Christian? You're a hypocrite. You're a Christian by name only. He comes to attack us. He comes with evidence in order to pierce your heart and crush your spirit and rob you of joy and assurance. We have to guard ourselves. We need to put on that breastplate of righteousness. That assurance that we have been legally declared righteous before God in spite of ourselves. We have been justified. And that we can never be more justified apart from the moment we believed. So that when the evil one brings accusation against us, you can say what? You have trusted in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and not your works. You have a breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart against the accusations of the evil one. 
Isn't that what we sing in the hymn? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am. This is the Christian experience. When God saves you, he gives you a desire to love him, to serve him, to obey him. We are a new creation, but we are not perfect. We are not a perfect creation. We still struggle with the flesh, with the world, with Satan. And the evil one traps us. And what happens when we fall into sin? We begin to feel horrible. And the devil comes to shout at you. He tells you, you'll never get away with this. His, his goal is to fill us with regret and remorse and despair. And, 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 and a worldly sorrow that leads to death. The focus turns not to Christ but on ourselves. We begin to look at our failures. We begin to think, surely I cannot serve God. We begin to think, how can I be forgiven again? Has that ever happened to you? You must be sure this morning, brethren, that you're not relying on your own righteousness. You must completely trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Only then will you be able to stand in the evil day. Only then can you stand against the evil one. Because the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor each piece put on with prayer where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. This battle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And you have vital organs, vital spiritual organs that must be protected because if they are struck it will be you will be fatally wounded it will be a death blow to you and, Peter, and Paul says there is a piece of armor that can protect your thorax this is the breastplate of righteousness as I conclude applications by way of application I will give a number of benefits of this doctrine but for that, I'd like you to ask yourself, do you understand Christ alone as your righteousness? Because it's easy for us to understand, but be misguided in our everyday practice. You and I are Roman Catholics at heart. We always think that somewhere, in some place in my heart, I can have enough penance so that I can really be forgiven. We think that I can, I can mourn enough, I can cry enough. I can offer penance for me to be forgiven. You must revel in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
the devil will want to attack our conscience. He'll try to cripple God's people. To de- and, and depending on your own righteousness, really, produces pride. When you think that I can do it, it can produce pride on one hand. And on the other hand, if it doesn't produce pride, it produces despair. It produces hopelessness. Why? Because you fail to meet the standard over and over again. It's only dependence on Christ's righteousness that can deliver us from despair and pride. So we have all sorts of benefits. If you could turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. We have all sorts of benefit flowing out from our understanding of this doctrine. And the first one there, Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first benefit there, very clear. This is peace is the fruit of justification. We have a present permanent position with God. We also have, verse 2 says, through him we have also obtained what? Access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have access because we are God's children. We have entrance to the Father's throne through the righteousness of another one, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, righteous, we have entrance into the kingdom of God. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and, and access with confidence through our faith in him. So we have confidence with the Father. We have peace with God the Father. We have stability in standing. We can stand before God as servants. see some depression is because we have listened to Satan because sometimes depression comes because we look inside ourselves we let self become our scrutinizer you let yourself speak to you instead of God speaking to you you see the breastplate will make you stable it will make you fearless in the face of danger. This breastplate gives you emotional stability. See, when this doctrine grips you, there's stability. There's there's a sense in which you're no longer tossed to and fro. But there's something in your soul that gives you stability. Because you're able to apply God's word, you're able to believe in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, and it gives you peace and joy. Another benefit is in verse 3 of chapter 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Another benefit of understanding this doctrine is that it helps to assess our trials properly. Having been justified by faith, we do what? We glory in our tribulations. Because we know that they are coming from a loving hand of our Heavenly Father. You see, this 
doctrine also is our security. Another point that you can absolutely 100% depend on the righteousness of God to take you to heaven. That you're secure. That righteousness will never be tainted. It will never fail to meet the requirements of God. So that it's not about you. It's about Christ. Because of that, we can never be lost. You cannot, so that you do not trust your sweetest frame, but do what? Holy lean on Jesus' name. This is the only way to die, brethren. To die peacefully. To die with joy. It's only in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ can we die. Because nothing that we've ever done can save us. You cannot go into this battle with any other equipment apart from the breastplate of righteousness. And lastly, this doctrine as well fuels us in the fight. Fuels us in the fight so that we do not listen to the lies of the devil, but we preach to ourselves. When the devil brings an accusing conscience, when he seeks to exploit our present sin, we stop and say what? You not listen to his lies. You're going to preach to yourself. Upward, I look and see him there. And so it's not the strength of our faith, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is what we preach to ourselves. Indeed, we can rest assured that we have a hope, we have assurance, we have joy, we have every blessing in Jesus Christ. This perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ should take away all fear in your heart. It should give you confidence and boldness and assurance. Really. Someone may argue, if, if I do not feel guilty enough about my sin, then I'm treating grace very cheaply. I say to you, if you're trying to work up some guilt, if you're trying to make yourself feel as guilty as possible, then you're treating grace cheaply. Do you want to magnify grace? Boldly go to the throne of grace. Go and ask God to wash you of all your sins and to impute on you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What better news indeed can we have as Christians And to see really that we have been counted righteous before your throne. And when that day comes, Lord, our sins will not rise up against us. Thank you that all our sins were paid on the cross and we have been counted righteous for sake. Indeed, we can sing a debtor to mercy alone of covenant mercy is saying no fear with your righteousness on indeed there is no fear with your righteousness on we bless your name lord and we thank you for these things we pray in jesus name
Amen.